Don't you just love it when you hear a reading and you have nothing in common with it? I was looking at the, the first reading today, and, you know, God's looking for Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? And he's like, I heard that you were in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. Um, not that any of us have ever been naked before, right? So, so he hides, and then God asks, well, who told you that you were naked? And uh, he says, you have eaten then from the tree which I had forbidden you to eat. And the, remi- the man's like, like, no, I did not do that. So because he's so manly and so masculine, he starts scapegoating. And the woman you put here with me, uh, it's her fault. She gave me the fruit of the tree, so I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, why did, why did you do such a thing? She, then she started scapegoating. Well, it was the serpent, right? There's a total lack of humility, and they, they are not pointing fingers at themselves. You know, one of the words that we had today uh, when you're, if you look at that back sheet um, that you were given during your time of reflection and in holy hour was to describe your experience was the word humble. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that word on this retreat. It's been like, uh, I'm prideful, I need to be more humble. I'm prideful, I need to be more humble, which is actually a, a very good start to acknowledge your pride. And one thing that Adam and Eve, as they were growing and teaching us actually kind of what to do and what not to do, is they're showing us that the, one of the first stages of conversion is admitting that you love your sin more than God. That you love your sin more than God. And just to be humble enough to admit, yeah, I, I don't always want to pray. I don't always want to, you know, get up early in the morning. And just to humbly admit, I love my sin more than God. And in, in, in humility, we see that God became one of us in the incarnation. And it wasn't through, it wasn't any other way than through Mary, the new Eve. So where the old Eve says no, starts scapegoating, the new Eve, Mary, says yes, and she undoes all of the knots, all of the pride of previous generations in her humility. She says yes. She says yes. And ultimately, that is what God wants for you, to give him the rest of your life every second of every day. Another word for the yes is called fiat. One prayer I started praying early in my conversion was just praying, Mary, please let my yes become your yes. Please let my yes become your yes. So then when you go home and people ask, um, how was your mission trip? It should sound a lot like Mary's first mission, right? Angel Gabriel comes to her, and she acknowledges the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you look at the Annunciation, Angel Gabriel comes to her. She gives God her yes. Fiat, voluntas. She gives God her will. She writes a blank check for the rest of her life, and she says, God, you just take care of it all. And when she acknowledges that she is a handmaid of the Lord, she is a servant, a missionary of the Lord, she goes to visit her cousin because she heard that nothing is impossible with God. And in that visit to her cousin, her, this is what her yes sounds like. And I just want you to maybe consider when people ask you, how was your mission trip? Would it sound something like Mary's Magnificat, her, her yes? She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of a Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant, you know, 
when, when you talk to people about your experience, is it all going to be about you or is it going to be about him? Mary, in her last words at the wedding feast at Cana, when the water was changed into wine, what would she say? Do whatever he tells you to do. What is Jesus telling us to do? We can't do, we can't do what Jesus is telling us to do, first of all, if we don't have silence. We live in such a noisy world. You've experienced the beauty of detachment on this mission trip, so you need silence. You also need good and holy friends. You need encouragement. And I think a lot of us as athletes, we know that we need an ordered life. When we live a life where one day I wake up at 8 and the other day I wake up at 10, it's disordered and it doesn't work. But having accountability and community helps. As I was looking at the words that stood out to me as I was looking at this trip, um, I, I always like strange words because I want people to pay attention. If I had to describe some words that would ex- explain my experience, I would say it was completely useless. It was very pointless, meaningless, worthless, and wasteful in the eyes of the world, or as Father Scott would say, in the eyes of the flesh. But in the spirit that a lot of you received and experienced for the first time on Saturday, I would say this experience would be extremely providential. Maybe you didn't know that God wanted to provide for you in a new way. Once you kind of get your hands on the steering wheel, you let go of control. I would say the trip was transformative. I would say another word would be like spirit-driven. I would say a few words I would even say was, it was freeing. I experienced freedom for the first time. I would say, you could even say if someone said, what was your trip like? I'd say, I was dead before I went and now I'm alive. You may say the trip was one of the best gifts God has ever given me. I experienced true community. There's many words that you could do, but I'd say to sum all of that up, the word would be that the trip was Marian. That's that's how I'm going to describe my trip. It was Marian. Just hearing people pray the rosary, and, and it's not like obligatory, but there was something about Mary on that trip, which I don't exactly have a word for it yet, but it just seemed like she was always there. I mean, like all the guys got like these awesome rosaries. And often I think of the rosary as a weapon, as St. Padre Pio would put it. He would always say that the rosary is my weapon. And when he, when he couldn't find it, people would ask, he'd ask, where's my weapon? And he'd never go into the confessional without his weapon. So he knew how to love people when they're at their, at their worst. In our gospel reading today, we hear about um, one of the, the greatest gifts that Jesus ever gave the church, which is a mother. If Jesus is God, which indeed I hope we are all beginning to believe, if Jesus is God, then that means that Mary is the mother of God. And if all the people, not this building, but if all the people are the, are the church, then that would make Mary mother of the church. But it has to be something that you and I accept. So as Jesus is suffocating on the cross out of love for you, by the way, it didn't look that pretty. Our crosses are very pretty. Um, He's suffocating. His His lungs are filling with water out of love for you. And the only way that he can breathe is by pulling himself up through those nails out of love for you. And at the foot of the cross, the whole time is Mother Mary. 
remaining faithful, remaining faithful, remaining faithful. And often I think Mother Mary is just telling each of us, because that act on the cross is an act of eternity, and you and I can enter into that. Often I think she's just looking at you and me when she's like, would you just pause and look at my son and see how much he loves you? Would you just pause and look at the cross and see how much he loves you? Arms open to hug you. Head bowed down to kiss you. Feet nailed in obedience to wait for you. Side pierced to cleanse you and remind you that you are a child of God. And from the cross, we hear the heart of Jesus speak words like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He says, woman, behold your son. And he's not degrading Mary. He's talking, to, he's talking to from the beginning. Now, Jesus, as a new Adam, is the fruit in the tree that they should have been grabbing for. They shouldn't have been grabbing for sin. They shouldn't have been grabbing for sin. They should have been grabbing for God. That's the whole problem. Now we have the right fruit in the tree. Who is God? Who is Jesus? And he says, woman, behold your son, which is... Mary as mother of God. And then he says the words to you and me, behold your mother. The word behold is often in scriptures, in scriptures over a thousand times. And that word means to take into your entire being, like to take into you from head to toes, all of your brain, all of your heart, all of your soul, to take into you, to behold just like we say at Mass when the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God, because you're going to take it into you in just a moment. And that's the only way that this trip, is, this mission trip, is going to extend, is if you take Mary with you. Often, if you come to my Masses in Oshkosh, after we receive communion, I always pray a prayer called the Memoire, and maybe you know it, but the prayer, the prayer that I pray every single morning on my knees. Because I know if Mary held the God of the universe in her womb and she lived that hidden life, because when you leave here, not everybody's going to understand what a holy hour is. Not everybody's going to understand what time of scripture is. And, and no one really sees what you do. There's that hidden life. If Mary raised Jesus that way, then she can probably teach you and me a little bit, right? How to follow her son when life sucks, when you're at the foot of the cross, it seems like everything's going on crazy around you. And I always just imagine Mary with like a purse behind her back, just waiting to whack someone. But no, she didn't do that because she knew that Jesus wanted to give you his spirit. So when he says, I thirst, that's like his love for you. Like he thirsts for you. He wants to soak you in. He wants to soak every part of you in. So when 50 days after Easter, when he rises from the dead, 50 days after it, he gives us his spirit so you could do it. And Mary is often called spouse of the Holy Spirit in her relationship to the Trinity. And Jesus in our gospel today says, it says, in bowing his head out of reverence for you as his children, as his beloved, he handed over the spirit so that means you have a choice each day to receive it. 
and to be filled with it. It's not very complicated. It's just praying those three simple words, come, Holy Spirit, come, right? Come, Holy Spirit. And then just waiting to be filled. The apostles, in the the, the Acts of the Apostles, they waited for nine days. They did a novena, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And who was there in the upper room waiting? The one who probably knew the Holy Spirit the best besides Jesus and the Father was Mother Mary. And she teaches us how to give our yes over to Jesus every day. So when you go home and people ask you, how was mission trip? What is it going to sound like? What do you want them to really hear? It ought to sound like my soul began to proclaim the greatness of the Lord inside of myself. My spirit began to rejoice in God, my Savior, for he looked, he gazed with favor on his lowly servant. I don't know what your words are that you're going to go home and share, but I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint those words in a new way. If you don't know the memoire, I encourage you to look it up and learn it, a little challenge, a little homework for you as you go home. Because as soon as we, we pray that prayer, it brings us so much hope. It's a great prayer. And you can do that prayer as a mini novena whenever you want to. Mother Teresa would often, life would be going crazy, and she would pray nine memoires in a row as a, called a novena on the fly. Last thing. With that prayer of the novena, um, of the fly novena, um, I was once here in Minnesota, in Burnsville, at a hospital called Fairview Hospital, and I was a chaplain, and there was this woman there, and when I first got there, I went to the NICU, which is where all the little babies are. Is the little baby still here? Did he leave? What? Okay. Um, but she, she had the baby early, and, the, and she's already there for like 50 days. The baby was like a super preemie. And as I went to the hospital and got to, got to know her, first of all, she did not want to see me. She didn't want to do anything with the faith. But I just persisted. And I just began to pray gently for her each day because her little boy, Benjamin, uh, was not latching onto her breast. And he was being fed through a tube. And he was so small. And each, each day, each week for that summer, I just go back to her. And we kind of talk. And she just began to soften her heart. And then she told me she was Catholic. Never would have guessed that. Um, but she was just telling me how frustrated she was. Why is my baby, what's wrong with him? Why is he not latching on? And then one day she showed up and she had a rosary. And I was like, you pray the rosary? She's like, not much. We began to pray the rosary a little bit together. And then there came one day where the doctors wanted to do a major surgery on little Benjamin. And she asked if I wanted to come to the meeting with her and her husband. And I sat in that meeting, and I just began to listen to the doctors telling me and her and her husband what they wanted to do to little baby Benjamin. And my heart just said, no, not yet, no. I had no peace. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. But I said, no peace over it. And I told her, after the meeting, she said, what do you think? And I said, I don't know why, but I'm not a doctor, but I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I don't think God wants this surgery to happen. And she said, what do you think we should do? 
And I said, well, this prayer, there's this prayer that Mother Teresa would do often called the Memoire, and I can print it off for you. And we can do that tomorrow. And it's what, what you do is you pray this prayer nine times, eight times in petition for what you need. And the ninth one is in Thanksgiving, like writing that blank check. And then you just wait. And we did. The next day I came back and I printed it off her and we prayed the prayer. And then when I showed up on Monday morning, that weekend went by, she has little Benjamin now in a car seat. And she looks at me kind of stern. She's joking, by the way. She looks at me kind of stern. She's like, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why are you mad at me? And she said, I'm mad at you because you never told me about the intercession of Mary, that, that, that the fly novena from Mother Teresa. And she said, the doctors don't know what happened, but little Benjamin's feeding and he's totally healed. And we don't know why. I think we all know why. Mary will never let you be separated from Jesus if you let her in. Never. What we have to do is we have to behold Jesus and and bring Mary into our home as John the beloved disciple did. So then our souls can indeed proclaim the greatness of the Lord. It's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. And then the, the weight being lifted off you of having to perform all the time just goes away as athletes. And you have peace in your hearts knowing all you're supposed to do is just point people to him and do whatever he tells you to do. Our God did not come here to make our lives more complex. He came to make them more simple. Only the evil one would make things worse for us. We take a moment of silence to place our complex lives on this altar. And as the bread and wine are transformed into his body and blood, we ask for our hearts to be transformed as Jesus desires for us. Amen.